0: hello and welcome to found i'm your host daryl etherington and i'm here with the uh, rocket fuel to my booster
1: <laughs> you betcha i jordan
0: pro that's right you really got me going jordan
1: i like to gas you up
0: you know <laughs> sure <laughs> i was like is this appropriate but we're good we're still good <laughs> <Yeah>. we're fine <laughs> so we're on found you know found which is TechCrunch's podcast about the stories behind the startups. Every week we talk to a different founder, we hear their story, we hear how they built their business, and we hear about how they run their business too. We have some very exciting news before we get to this week's episode. We have another episode of Found Live coming up. That's where we record live. For all to see, and you can join us for those via Hopin, which is the events platform we use. You can sign in through Hopin and join the conversation live to ask your own questions. There's a link for that in the description. I haven't even got to the best part, our guests for this one. So this is coming up Thursday, March 31st, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. And we have Dylan Field from Figma, co-founder and CEO of Figma. So that is...
1: That's a big
0: deal. Wow, Jordan... As you get, I think you have thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, Figma, wow, they just dominated in like a matter of a few years in the design world. I don't think that there's anyone, any founder or startup that isn't, if not using it, then like definitely very aware Mm -hmm. of Figma because collaborative design. It used to not be like a multiplayer game, and now it is.
0: Yeah, I think they went from like for design. They went from zero to default faster than just about anything else I've seen in terms of like tools used widely at enterprises. So it'll be great. Dylan's
1: super cool too. He was like a Teal fellow, like just a super duper smart guy. And he got some investment. He got in with the investors and was like, it's going to take me like four years to build this. And they were like, okay. And that's what he did.
0: Amazing. All right. So we'll learn a lot from him. So join us again. That's March 31st which is a Thursday, at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. But today, we also have a fantastic episode for you. We spoke to Laura Crabtree from Epsilon 3, and they've developed complex operations software for the space industry. So basically, they made like... (laughs) An OS for launching rockets, but not only for that, also for integrating satellites with rockets, which is a step you have to do, or like building satellites to begin with. They build software that manages all of this and makes it collaborative, actually, to tie into our other promo Mm -hmm. in a way that it hasn't been. It's very surprising, especially if you're not necessarily super familiar with this industry. Maybe you're in a different industry where things are a lot more modern. But a lot of the stuff behind the scenes at Rocket companies is done in like Excel. And you kind of like do it in a shared Excel sheet or even pen and paper sometimes, which is it's like Windows 95. Yeah, yeah. But Laura can explain better than us about that. So uh, we'll go ahead and get into the episode. Hi Laura, how's it Hi, going? Hi,
2: I'm I'm great. Daryl, nice to meet you, and thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. Very excited. I'm personally very excited because you have a space company, which is fun. Not to say that I'm sorry past found guests and future found guests. I <laughs> suppose I like all of your companies equally. <laughs> I don't think they're like to make that claim. But. Yeah, that's a lie. But space has a special place in my heart since, you know, I drove a lot of the coverage here at TechCrunch in past and continue to do a bit here and there. But I know you spoke to Devin on our team. I did. And he did a great job writing about Epsilon-3 and about what it does. But in case our listeners haven't read those, I recommend they go read those. But in case they haven't, can you give us a breakdown of what Epsilon-3 is? Sure.
2: Epsilon-3 is operational software for space companies and other complex engineering companies to run and test their billion-dollar missions to prevent costly or potentially disastrous mistakes. There's a number of companies using us for integration tests and operations that span a large swath of the different types of companies within the space. Industry, so launch robotics, there are satellite customers, and there are customers using us for integration test, and everything in between. So, that is in a nutshell what we do. I'd love to get into it a little bit more, but you asked for the quick high level.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, we like to just set the stage with the high, high level, but we usually do yeah. talk more about the it as geospatial well. I mean, there's a lot level, in there, you
1: know. <laughs> the yeah, I know about yes. space too. Yeah. <laughs> Has a special place Jordan, in my the, heart no, because of sci-fi. Like
0: Are
1: you gonna grill me?
0: I don't want to like quiz you <laughs> with trivia. No, it doesn't. Because then I don't even know the answer to most of the questions I was thinking.
1: I mean, I, I could just tell the, the audience. I can tell Laura and everyone right now. I don't know. I know what I, I want to know. The sci-fi in. references.
2: Oh, oh, like any yes. and all of yeah. them, pretty
1: much. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually not a big Star Trek fan. Okay. But obviously, I'm leaning into Star Wars. I got Battlestar Galactica as in my top five TV show list. All right. I've been reading a lot, like a lot of, I'm in a sci fi genre in my reading as well. I just finished a ride series. Ooh, gonna, it I'm going to have to
2: look into that one.
1: That's actually really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, okay. it's, it's, it is good. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun one. And then I'm on to, gosh, I don't even know what it's called Broken Shards, something like okay. that. Shards
0: of I think I know what space, you're talking about the,
1: the universe. It's putting me to sleep though.
2: It's like very dense, wordy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you? That
0: can be the challenge. I have think, you watched right Babylon there?
2: Five at all? Because that's, no, I that's a There's a, I have there's a planet Babylon. on Babylon Five that were that's where our name comes from. So, oh, a lot okay. of well, a yes. lot of people well, ask well. me, and I have to tell them, you know, that it is a nerdy reference. So I have to, oh. you know, give a nod to the sci-fi and also the, yeah. the fun aspect of it since Babylon 5 is set not in this time period. So yeah. pretty, <laughs> pretty fun and, you know, futuristic. And we wanted to kind of give sci-fi nod to all the people that love sci-fi out there. There have been a few people that actually asked if it was a Babylon 5 reference. So oh,
1: cool. they, they actually understood, which it. was awesome. Which is actually, yeah, I mean, yeah. don't take that for granted because that's rare for startups. I feel like most people are like, what the f is booboo? <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. You know, like they're just like made up words and shit. Like,
0: What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, we had a <laughs> recently, I felt so bad. We had Cook's Venture on recently and I was like, is this like a placeholder name that like somebody was like, you're a cook and you have a venture and then you just named your company and he was like, no, no, no.
2: <laughs> it actually took us a, l- a few iterations to get on a name that was easily pronounce pronunciated sorry Pr- pronounce- wow pronounceable it's happening live that was bad but, uh, that was real bad easy to pronounce Maggie easy to pronounce is words much words, better fine. yes you know, let's go i'm like not that. an english like, major we'll go with that
1: i am and for what it's worth, i will not talk on your company's name in the future
0: so
2: it's like okay if you do i i won't blame you for it no i think I it's, good.
0: it's good and i think it's like like, I didn't get the reference directly, but I was like, this sounds super spacey and I like it. And I'll bet, like, all your clients probably either get it or are like, yeah, that sounds like something we want to do business with, right? So it has that. It effect. is. So, I do yeah.
2: really like the name, but I am obviously very biased. So, yeah, right. I mean, you should like, you gotta like the name. Yeah, it's gonna definitely.
1: be yeah. attached to you forever. That's
0: step one. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, I was told recently by uh, someone uh, that joined our company that I am now Laura Epsilon 3. I am not Laura Crabtree anymore. Epsilon 3 is my last name. Oh. Now, so For what it's worth, that's how I that's say founders cool. in my phone. Okay. Like their first name yes. and then their company's well, name as their last name because I don't care. From don't now until some... the, the end of time, I am now Laura Epsilon 3. That's that's
1: <laughs> cool. That's actually cooler <laughs> than Crabtree. Not to sh-
2: on Crabtree, either. <laughs> I mean, Crabtree's oh pretty God. cool. I decided not to change my last name, so I'm gonna keep it forever. Cool. But yeah, that's a uh, now. Epsilon three is my last name.
0: Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Where I wanted to start on Epsilon three is. I think this is a big part of the business that a lot of people who are maybe even fans of the space startup industry or like new space, everything that's going on that's exciting and fun and like rockets, like don't even understand that this part of the market exists, right? It's invisible to a lot of people. And yet it's so crucially important. And it's also, I think, a point that Devin brought up in this, but that I would love you to expound upon. Like, it's like not something that has necessarily been touched, even as people were looking to innovate other aspects of the business. Right. A lot of it was largely unchanged from even, you know, like the 1960s or 70s, Yeah, or whatever,
2: I actually right? got an email from a large aerospace contractor recently that said, hey, I would love your help because we are utilizing paper for our testing and operational procedures. And I want to get us out of the 1960s. That literally hmm. was a quote. And <laughs> I thought, wow, I knew that it existed. And if you look at really, really large companies, they are trying to solve it by building in-house tools. But I could go into the number of problems that that brings on. But uh, nobody from a global, let's look at the entire space industry, is saying, I want to solve this and I want it to be a solution that anybody in the industry could use, whether it's from launch vehicles all the way to, you know, deep space. And that's where I want to be is solving the problem for everyone in the industry where they could share and they could bring other people on. If you have a payload or a launch vehicle, you could then easily communicate between the two. That's a hard piece that nobody's really solving. And it's done a lot of times mm-hmm. by either the payload providing specific data to the launch vehicle, and then voice communication back as to where they are in the count, etc. I want to make that a lot more seamless and easy. But yeah, it's something that has been, you know, nobody looks at your screens in mission Control and says, hey, what are they using to operate their vehicles? And how right, are they right. thinking about that? That's just something people, okay, it's out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, But I have lived that life and I know the problems that people have seen and I know the problems that people still have. And I want to help them with those problems. You know, I don't want people to have a subpar tool set for their operations because they have to build a tool in-house because something doesn't exist that they can buy off the shelf. Mm-hmm. That's where we come in and we say, you know, you have a small team. I know you don't have 10 people to build in-house tools. Let's take your in-house people and give them back all the time that they would have spent building an in-house tool to do something that moves your business forward. And so that's kind of the reason and rationale behind what we're doing.
1: So as the humanoid in the the podcast, right, as the terrestrial (laughs) being that doesn't understand (laughs) space, I want to understand better why what you just said, essentially, right? Like why off the shelf? Because there's so much innovation and just like general use software, right now like low code no code right right? like you've got stuff like Airtable people are using like spreadsheets and pieces of paper I mean we've definitely come a long way just for general stuff where you can kind of like configure software to do Mm -hmm. what you need it to do right so like what's the part that's missing that for the rest of us that are not you and Daryl the space industry needs right to like yeah. it's the piece that they can't do with the existing software suite of stuff that's out there right So now?
2: the things that are out there right now don't take into account a lot of the really complex decision making that has to be done in the space operation. So you look at sauna. you have one task, you check it off and it's it goes away. You can create subtasks and things, but it isn't something that is easily repeatable. And it is, I mean, if you could have a daily task, but it's not something that's specifically configured for the complexity that space operations requires. There's also the complexity of uh, integrating with your data. If you think about a control room, you've got GUIs displaying data, plots, Ticker tapes and time tag of data, then you have your procedure that says, Hey, I have to do this step of this procedure at this time. And if you integrate the data, now you don't have to translate from one tool to the other to actually make a decision on where you're going to go next. So we are integrating with satellite or launch vehicle data to help those operators make decisions in the moment rather than having to think, oh, this said I have to be at 5 volts. Let me go look at the data to make sure it's 5 volts. And we're also recording all of those decisions that are made so that we have that in the database. So if somebody wants to go back, look at the metrics of what they did last week, last month, last year, they have that data so they have a lot of traceability all the way through the system. Sorry, that was a very that outwinded answer. No, no that, yeah.
1: that actually wasn't as long-winded as it was. Like. To be. you're just crushing it today, Laura.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I woke yeah. up woke Wait. up like Yeah. Me <laughs> <kidding you> too. <laughs> you look much better
1: than uh, I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. You mentioned your experience. I wanted to touch on that sure. too, right? Because you have first hand experience using the systems that already existed and the things that people were trying to do, I think with their own in-house yeah. efforts, right? Like on both sides too, right? Like both sides being for Jordan, for everyone <laughs> not necessarily familiar with the ins and outs of the space industry. Loosely we kind of define it divide it among like old space. Yep. Whatever's so like that includes the primes that people talk about sometimes when you're talking about yep. defense contractors and new space, which is sort of like SpaceX and... And, and everything Hets, that came thereafter. Right? after. Yes, yep. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you find that's a fair dividing I do, line. I do, Laura? actually, or yeah. Probably... I find
2: it, it is yeah. fair. You know, you have very large contractors, and there are more than three, but Boeing, Lockheed, Northrop are the main three that people talk about, but yet there are more. And then you have New Space, which is SpaceX, and then everything that came after. And I always talk about the New Space market basically coming up to speed while i was heads down with blinders on at spacex and when i left spacex in 2020 i looked up at this crazy new space if you will market and saw just a lot of innovation a lot of new companies and people are always asking me like is the market big enough for what you're building and right. that's a question i get asked all the time and the answer is yes not only in the space business but outside of space because what we're doing solves problems for other markets as well we just wanted to focus on space because you know a that's where my passion lies b that's where my experience is and c that's where i see the yep. biggest problem
1: so what would be the next yeah, and step? So, sorry i want to do this now oh yeah, so yeah. what it. would
2: like yeah so apply we are already supporting other industries so we are supporting some companies in aviation so we're supporting venus aerospace who's a hypersonic Sassy is wonderful if you ever want to talk to her. And we're also supporting Bedrock Ocean, which is a robotics oh, we're, vehicle. We're, are you, are we're you talking to them. Charlie? Anthony. <laughs> oh, you're talking to Anthony? He's great. You'll love him. Yeah.
1: I always mix oh, it up because cool. he was at Nautilus first, right? Yeah. And now it's Bedrock. Yeah, we're talking to Anthony next week. Fine.
2: Anthony's Anthony's awesome and you can jam on all things ocean with him. He's yeah. Awesome human. So, yeah, so we're already starting to expand into other industries, but it sort of depends. I think the aviation industry is something I want to tackle next. And also ocean exploration, something that's like kind of deep in my heart, my other love and passion. Basically, so. the same as space, right? I it mean, is. It's like the this f- explored on. frontier. The same, yeah. but it's closer. Yeah. Yeah. But you think <laughs> it's easier, but it's not easier. No, but it's, it's not. not easier. So. <laughs>
0: No, I learned, I mean, everything I learned about deep sea exploration, I learned from Sequest DSV, which is another classic show.
2: There are some um, really cool analog yeah, think, missions that are done in deep sea. A lot of the astronauts talk about their deep sea experiences. Yeah. So there's a lot of sort of parallels between deep sea exploration and space exploration. So I was yeah, right.
0: That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny because it's like an area where I don't think people see the applications like i think sometimes when we talk about hypersonic transportation people are like oh yeah like that makes sense or like point to point but beyond that i think a lot of people see it as very siloed like stuff that happens over here in the space industry yeah. doesn't really have any applications elsewhere right despite the fact that like say nasa has been crowing for its entire existence about how things we do up in space have impact here on earth yeah and- here are all the reasons why or ways why, There are right?
2: so many applications. In terms of enterprise
0: yeah. side and industry side, like it doesn't, it, it's not apparent. Right? It
2: isn't utterly apparent to everyone. And I think that's something that we probably need to do a better job of on Earth is, you know, getting the word out about what's happening in space that actually makes our world better. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go yeah. to space yeah, but I would go to space. Good question. That was one of my. (laughs) Not yet. Do you have a ticket? Not yet. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I need. I need a lot more money to get a ticket to space. But I would definitely (laughs) only
0: four hundred fifty (laughs) thousand dollars. Yeah, just get one of your
2: investors to fork it up. I've got. I've got two kids. They use up all my money, so Uh, I don't have a lot of extra money. But there is actually one of my friends started this company called Space for a Better World to bring a lot of that information about what happens in space to us. Mm -hmm. I think that is starting, you know, getting people excited and aware of what's going on in space and how that affects our planet and our world, you know. From the experimentation that the astronauts are doing on themselves, on food, on the world, yeah. to climate and Earth observation and sensing. There's so much that's happening in space that really helps us. I mean, GPS is. Just one thing that people take for granted all day, yeah. every day.
0: But it's also like a lot of that stuff that you mentioned, especially when it comes to like medicine or like food technologies, people also don't realize that's the yes. only place you can do that work and research. You cannot replicate those conditions on Earth. There are things that may approximate it, but it will never give you the exact That's exactly that, right. Right. So. And
2: there are a lot of companies yeah. looking at medical production or manufacturing in space because it is the best environment to do some of those experimentation and production. Yes. So I'm excited for that future too. Yeah, and, too. and
0: manufacturing yeah. and stuff, too, like the stuff with material science that's possible. is it's very really exciting. exciting. And um, I've been excited, too. People should dig into yeah. it. I really read all about it, and then I just don't write about it on the <laughs> website for some reason. No, because I'm too busy elsewhere.
1: One out of every ten of those articles.
0: <laughs> I'm like, this is so interesting. I wish that someone would share this, with someone with a website yeah. <laughs> and uh, access to a large audience. Hey, I think I people. know one of those yeah.
2: people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. But like, so when you were working at those places, did you see you just saw the same problems across both? Because I think the perception is they are very different approaches, right? So a Northrop approaches space and getting to space and working and operating in space very differently than a SpaceX does, right? That's kind of the guiding narrative. But it sounds like they share common problems and challenges that you witnessed across both and we're like, why isn't anyone fixing this?
2: There are common problems among new space and old space. I would say that while I was at SpaceX, I did a lot of tool development, like we talked about internal tools. And so I have firsthand knowledge of what happens when you build a tool in-house. And it is really hard when you have laser focus on this one vision, you know, getting drag into space or getting people to space to take that focus and reroute it every once in a while to develop tools for getting them to space or for operating your vehicles efficiently. Mm -hmm. And so we developed tools in-house and they were great. They worked really well, but there was always, you know, what's the next thing? How can I innovate on this? How can I make this better? And I really wanted to continue on that path. So henceforth, why I wanted to start Epsilon 3 to sort of, Iterate on what I had done previously.
0: Cool. But what about the actual decision to do it yourself and to start a business? (laughs) And like, that wasn't something that was within your frame of experience previously, I don't think, just looking at your LinkedIn
2: or whatever. It wasn't. It's sort of, I don't want to say it was serendipity, but it sort of happened by sort of accident. I was very excited about what I saw within the industry when I left SpaceX. I went looking for what's the next thing for me? Should I join a startup? Should I go back to Northrop Grumman? And I explored all those avenues. And nothing was really pulling me to say, you have to do this. There were mm-hmm. jobs and there were people that I really wanted to work with, but it wasn't a role that was really exciting to me. So I started asking people what types of tooling they had For their operation. And I talked to probably 20 to 30 different companies from the ranging from Northrop Grumman all the way to, you know, two or five person companies. And they all said similar things. We don't know. We're going to use Word documents because it's there. It's easy. We're going to print it to PDF and then somebody's going to go out to the range and test my engine with a PDF. And I said, well, what if I gave you a better option? Would you use it? And I got a lot Mm -hmm. of yeses. That got me thinking, maybe I could do this, but. You know, right. as you pointed out, I don't have experience in running a business, building a business, incorporating. So I started to talk to a bunch of friends that I had, you know, some that had started businesses, some that had, you know, new VCs. I had some connections to friends that were CEOs and leaders in, in other companies and other verticals, so in fintech and other things that I, I don't know anything about, but they are my friends. So mm. I reached out and asked them, what would you do if you were had an idea and you wanted to see if it was feasible? And he said, well, you have to find a co-founder that will help you on the way. And one of my friends introduced me to Max, who is my COO, and he's amazing. He's very, very good COO. He's very organized and very methodical about our organization and how we do things. Max and I just started talking a couple weeks after I left SpaceX. He said, well, I think this could be a business. And I said, okay, well, what do we do next? So we wrote up a business plan and we started thinking about, you know, what's the first step? And then he said, well, if we're going to really do this, we need a technical co-founder because I know how to write code, but I'm not going to be able to code this. So we started searching for someone who would be excited and interested in what we were doing. And that's when we found Aaron, who's our third co-founder. And we just started talking to investors to see if they would have interest because we thought, well, if we're going to do this for real, we need to pay ourselves because mm-hmm. I have a family. Max has a family. Aaron was leaving his very lucrative job. And so we were all sort of needed some kind of income. We couldn't completely bootstrap it. Yeah. So we started talking to friends and family and VCs and it's kind of the rest is history.
0: Nice. Yeah. But it sounds like you considered bootstrapping was like a possibility oh, because you have revenue opportunities relatively early on, right? Like once you have something built. So that's not always the case, especially in, in the space industry. The yeah, you're industry. right. You're <laughs>
2: exactly right. And I think we were actually going to do it, and I don't talk about this a lot, but we were actually going to do it in our quote free time because I came from a place where I worked 15, 18 hours a day. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I'll just do it in the evening and manage this from <laughs> like eight to midnight every day. And one of our right. advisors pulled me aside and he was like, Laura, you can't do that. <laughs> he's like, That's good He's like, you're going to have to do this and be fully on board and committed. And I said, OK, well, then I guess we need to raise money because that was when we were going to bootstrap mm, yeah. like very end of 2020. We were thinking well, maybe we'll bootstrap this. And then we got fully on board, all of us. And then we went forward and raised some money. And the rest is, as you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, nice. One of the things I wanted to ask you about that you talked about earlier that I'd like more detail on is the desire to do it in-house, right? And we know like, I know SpaceX is always very much like, well, we want as much, we want to own as much of the stack as possible on the hardware side, right? And it would seem like maybe they also, they believe that on the software side as well. But get into like more of why it is such a time sink or like a misuse of resources to do it that way. I mean, I get... Some of the things you were talking about, and I think obviously probably something where I would think the companies would look at it and be like, this is both a strength and a downside in like right. different ways, where it's like interoperability, right? Like you want interoperability, but you also want defensibility on some parts of it. How do you negotiate that? And how do you go in and talk to companies that are like, maybe we're going to build this stack ourselves and, and not yeah, worry about it outside? I, I
2: think company. it goes back to speed, right? So mm. new space companies want to move as fast as possible. It's all about agile development, the feedback loop to design, and how fast you can move. And I can tell you from experience that building something in-house is not fast, nor is it easy. Right. It takes more yeah. resources than you ever think you need, and it takes more time than you think you need, which, in essence, wastes money. And startups yeah. don't have a lot of extra money. So investing in something like this early helps you move faster earlier. When I talk to companies that are thinking, oh, I want to build this in-house, I try to explain, you know, I did it and we didn't have an MVP when we were building in-house for nine months and we were Mm, building the whole time. But what we did was because we knew we couldn't dedicate people from internal, we actually paid an outside firm to do it. And then internally we did all of the testing and then pushed code. So... All of that process, but you're still taking people in-house to do all of that testing and verification. So you're still taking those people's time and money, as well as now Mm -hmm. paying an external company to build for you when you could have paid a fraction of the price to actually just use something off the shelf. And something that is really interesting about what we do is coming from a place where I built tools in-house, I want to be basically a partner with the companies that we work for. And so we meet with them on a sometimes biweekly, sometimes monthly basis to sort of understand what their priorities are so that they can help inform what we build next. That's actually proven yeah. to work really well because the companies will be open and honest. You know, this is working, this isn't working, or this is something we would want. And it's helped them be, A, more successful on the platform, and B, helped us make sure that they're happy with what they're getting.
0: Right. Yeah. You brought the, all the challenges and like things that you think of when you're deciding, like, oh, do we build by the classic matrix of like decision-making to decide how you go about launching a new feature, a product, yeah. or whatever. But one of the things, like, people always... Do the scoping mistake, and it's funny because at the outset of a project, people like talk about the scoping mistake and like try to build it in, but you never can no, build you
2: it. No, <laughs> It's like
0: yeah, you're like, well, this is going to take longer and it's going to be more expensive than we expect it will be. So we all know that, but it still is yes. longer, still <laughs> and more expensive.
2: Right? <laughs> it is, and I actually uh, talked with and actually onboarded a company that built something in house. And Hmm. they could never get it. And they were a large company, right? They could never get it to where they were really happy with it. And so what we did was when we onboarded them, we ask them, you know, what are the things that you absolutely want? Okay, here are the 50 things that you absolutely want our tool to do. And today we do 40 of them. These other 10, right. let's prioritize them so that we can do them yeah. over the course of the the contract that we have with you so that you're super excited about working with us in the future and telling us all the other things you need. And that's been amazing yeah
0: Yeah. and you get that right like you get so feature add-on customization because the other thing you were talking about was like agency limited contract like one term engage or one time engagement or whatever and then it's like all maintenance is left to you like even the testing and everything else and they like train you up and they're like all right, yeah. have fun. And then if you need them to do additional things, you have to engage them again for another fixed-term yep. contract or whatever, right? It's another kind of mistake. I, this this oh. ended up just being like, <laughs> I don't know how SaaS works yeah. and why SaaS is good. SaaS model
2: <laughs> is good because it continues to make sure that everyone is aligned on their priorities. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. I wanted to talk about that a little bit, right? Like yeah. pricing and packaging
1: when you have, yeah, like the space industry is big, but it also is pretty diverse, right? Like we're talking about, New space companies that are small are probably well funded because that's what they're trying to do something ambitious, right? And then you have like old agencies where they have big budgets, but also constrained budgets that they don't want to shift around, right? (laughs) So like, how do you think about pricing and packaging for this kind of like everyone should have it product when there are so many different Mm -hmm. kinds of customers?
2: Yeah, we have different tiers of pricing for different levels of features. And so when you think about an enterprise contract, you think, okay, they have to have support, they have to have SLA of XYZ, they have to have these types of features built in, we have those types of features. So you know, we can support enterprise contractors, we can also support the little guy with maybe a smaller feature set. And as they grow, they can enhance the features that they have on Epsilon 3. And so that's kind of The multiple tiers of pricing is how we're thinking about that. Hmm.
0: And that also applies because it's like not only size, though. It's like a launch provider versus a satellite integrator versus a Mm -hmm. satellite manufacturer or whatever. They have vastly different needs. But I guess you can do kind of a la carte pricing of like add on this thing or add on that thing. Or are there needs more similar? I think you'd actually be surprised.
2: I get similar requests from launch vehicle providers and satellite manufacturers similar operational features. And oh. so most of the features, I would say 95% of the things that we build are available to everyone, oh, wow. you know, okay. depending on what level of pricing. And then there are certain features that we think that maybe not everyone would use. And then we put that behind a feature flag where you can enable it in the settings. Right. So you say, I had one company who said, this is really, really important to us. And we thought, well, if other people might want to use it, we'll give it to everyone. And then we'll just put it on the settings and say, if you want to enable it, you can.
1: So I think like what I was trying to get at maybe more was like, can you talk me through that, that original conversation, right? Like not so much like here's how we solved for it. And we did tears, but like, as you were sitting down and going through the process of like, I'm always curious about how founders come up with prices, right? Like just in general, because it's a weird, not perfect science, right? Where like, particularly if you're category defining, because you're like, there's nothing to benchmark it against. It's not like we're like, oh, let's undercut them and like, let's be the premium version of this, right? It's like, we do this thing that nobody's done ever.
2: And (laughs) (laughs) so... Let's just throw some numbers out, right? Like what, how, mm-hmm. what, what happens there? So we started pricing discussions a year ago with some of our early customers, and we said, okay, well, this is what we want to charge you, and they said, okay, that sounds good. And then the next customer. So as you can probably uh, imagine, straightforward, it's, it's easily evolving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You want to get to the place where it's kind of a no-brainer on the return on investment. If you pay fifteen dollars a month for Netflix and you get to watch. 10 movies a month, now that makes a lot of sense because you're only paying like a dollar fifty a movie. But right. if they asked you to pay $100 a month, you'd say, no, thank you. And so you have to- Netflix you have could to- ask whatever they want from me.
1: Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix got, could you be you like, we just pay. have a direct line to your savings. they be like, okay, <laughs> let's do
2: it. Give them everything. <laughs> but yeah, so we had to understand what the value was that we were giving to people and then understand their comfort with, how much they were willing to pay. And so that's how we came up with the pricing. And as any SaaS business will tell you, it's sort of ever evolving. Yeah. Some pricing models don't work well for some customers. And so we're actually pretty flexible with our pricing model and we're working on it. We're always working on it and always thinking about it. But it is yeah. not an yeah. easy thing that sort of comes naturally.
1: No, it's not. And it's one right. of those weird things too, like you said, like to I think that some founders aren't as frank about like how constantly it is yeah. in the pool of things to think yeah. about, right? Yeah. And like how much it will change based on customer volume, et cetera, yeah. like new features being released, this ever-present thing that there's no real like science or playbook to. And it's just kind of like there all the time.
0: But it's also, I think it's on both sides, right? You also hear a lot of criticism about especially SaaS businesses and companies why don't you just post your pricing yeah, on the there's website there's like a lot whatever, of math right?
1: involved on that too right, right. like because you want good but, leads coming in so
0: but i think buyers are a lot less sensitive to that than people i think there's like a lot of public moaning about that or whatever but like actually the people who are the decision makers and the people who are like able to write the, the checks sure care a, a lot less about yeah. that than people think yeah. right because I mean, I've done some buying, some SaaS buying, and I was like, if you solve my problem and yeah. we have the budget, I'm very happy to yeah. pay it, right? And also then it makes you accountable because I'm paying you yeah. to, well, to do it I mean, right? more so like, like,
1: yeah, I guess a procurement department's like more comfortable with that. But like there's also the piece where I've heard founders talk about, well, we post our pricing because we want to be super straightforward with it. And that way we know every time someone calls, Or every time someone emails, like, we know they're already comfortable with this one thing, right? Like, at least that doesn't become a point of contention. But then there's also, like, we don't want to post it because maybe we're flexible with certain businesses. Or maybe, you know, maybe we want all that lead generation, even if it's not solid lead generation, for, like, six months from now or a year from now, right? So, like, there's all these different schools of thought, and it's just one of those things that it takes up my mental energy which is stupid because i don't decide the price of
2: anything pricing is is always a hard discussion and i genuinely love this industry and i want to talk to anyone who wants to talk to me If I can learn something from them or they can learn something from me, this is exactly where I want to be. So it might not always end up with them utilizing our software, but I'm always learning and always reaching out to people. So I don't want somebody to go to our website and say, oh, well, this is the pricing. So therefore, I shouldn't even talk to Laura. I want them to say, like, I like what they're doing and I want to learn about it. And I want to see what happens in the future. Maybe I don't need it now, but maybe I need it in six months. Exactly what you were saying, Jordan. Just, you know, maybe I will need it in six months or a year.
0: and maybe I'll have budget exactly. will change yeah, and anything. available funding. Everything's and everything. always changing. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I'm curious, too, like in that same vein, like how you think about hiring salespeople, because salespeople mm. are specific being, right? Like that's a unique personality type that <laughs> yes. is good at selling things, not necessarily good at space problems or whatever we want to call
2: them. Well, the good and bad news right now is that I haven't hired salespeople. Oh, that's you. You're the salesperson. I do all of it. It's me and Max. Mm, We know the product intimately. We know our customers intimately. And we genuinely very much love doing that. So I love all of the outreach. I love talking to people. This is like kind of my home. and learning from them. And so, Jordan, this is something I have to think about in the next six months, uh, probably actually hiring sales. Who do you hire?
1: Someone from the space sales industry or like just a really kick-ass salesperson who can like quickly learn what the (laughs) fuck's up or like is an
2: interesting problem, right? It is. If you solve that problem, can you tell me who I should hire? Yeah, no, I'll spend some of my mental energy. It's <laughs> gonna be that Jordan. Too.
0: This is uh, Jordan's looking for a <laughs> job again. What... She does this on the podcast. All I can the time, sell. So.
1: I like it. I have never yeah, sold no, anything in my life, but like I believe I could do but, it. Like, but
0: like in theory, I think yeah, I think, like, in theory
1: the disrupt you can sell very well. Is a sell thing, right? <laughs> like I think that Yes. Yeah. We'll see. Just yeah. give me a call, Laura, when you're ready. I
2: will. We'll I, I'll definitely reach <laughs> out. Yeah, I'm probably cheaper it sounds, than your it average like sales this,
0: too, so. No commission. No, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs>
2: Amazing.
0: But it sounds like that part, you like actually genuinely enjoy that part and like being able to talk to customers and prospective customers and stuff. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is there anything about the role that like was really difficult for you to adjust to or something that you were like, oh, this is not part of the stuff? that I like at all? And you had to really work on or what?
2: The hardest thing for me is that I don't do a lot of the technical work. And Mm. in my last job, while I was at SpaceX, I did a lot of digging into flight software. I ran a lot of simulations, and I did a lot of coding. And so I was closer to the code. And so I, I actually, funny story, I actually went to check out the code and do some kind of digging around and give Aaron some notes on the code. And Aaron and Max took me into a Zoom and said, hey, Laura, don't do that. And I said, don't go into our background (laughs) again, please. And I said, why not? And they said, you have better ways to be spending your time. And I said, "Okay, you're right. So that was a hard adjustment. Like, I I don't want control of it, but I want to at least like be able to figure out what's going on. But they both told me. Yeah,
0: you want to dig around in it. That's fun. Yeah, (laughs) is it? is it? Did you so,
2: say Jordan? so that was hard. <laughs> that was hard for me. And then, you know, the meeting growth expectations, that's something that I am sort of learning because I, I'll be honest, like I hadn't started a business before this. Right. So I'm learning about SAS metrics and I'm learning about how yeah. to report and grow those things. And that's something that I'm learning to love as time goes by. As I Love the numbers coming in from how much engagement we have with our customers and how that's growing every month. That's something that really keeps me excited about what we're doing here.
1: Well, it can be hard too, right? Because like sometimes that's a, in conflict. Like the growth expectations from an investor or from a board are right. kind of like can be in conflict with what your values or mission is or how you're trying to serve your customers, right? And we, yeah. we like hear this battle all the time between I'm
2: sure, and right.
0: But especially because you went into it thinking initially like, oh, we're going to bootstrap this and do it kind of off the side of our desk or in our spare time or whatever. And then to go like, oh, now it's in venture world and venture metrics are quite different. right?
2: Yeah. The focus is actually on our customers and our team, because we think of our customers as sort of an extension of our team. The value is really supporting one another and really supporting the growth of the team, which we think just translates into growth of the company as we... Mm excite and, you know, please the customers that we have, we think that that will naturally just grow our customer base and reaching out to new customers. And so I think more about that. But I also am well aware of the growth metrics and and things that we're trying to achieve on that side of things.
0: How has it been generally working with the venture side and with investors and having them kind of because you know, it's like, they're kind of like part time, Team members in ways, right? Like they're around the business. They want to know about the Some business. Some more than
1: others. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know you have Mac and Adrian Fenty. We've covered, he had an investment somewhere in another space thing I that we've about Adrian recently. At an but,
1: event too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like in general, Adrian's
2: fun. Yeah. Good.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's what I meant. Like in general, yeah, we, is been we a love Adrian. Experience?
2: Yeah. Very pleasant. I've heard good and bad stories from lots of different investors. And so, we made a lot of very hard decisions about the investors that we took on because we wanted to connect with them on a personal level. So we wanted to make sure those investors would be on our team. Mm -hmm. And so we think of the investors that we have as sort of team members. And we love them. I can't say enough good things about the investors that we have on our cap table. And, and our angels are very cool, too. I mean, I can email or call the angel investors or any of our VCs and ask for advice or help or support. And yeah, I, I think only good things from the investor group that we have. Nice. Well, that yeah,
0: wasn't very uh, explosive
1: I
2: mean, at all. Lucky. Yeah. I know, like, it wasn't controversial. <laughs> I was thinking you wanted something more <laughs> exciting, but honestly... You know, I haven't experienced any of the things that people have told me about investors. You know, I go to dinner with them. And, you know, when we had our onsite, a bunch of our investors came and met the team. And we have one investor who came and he talked to the whole team for about an hour about his SaaS experience. And they were all really interested in what he had to say about growing a SaaS business and supporting a SaaS business. And then other investors we met for lunch. So they came and met the team. So Adrian and Mike at Mac, mm-hmm. they came and met the team. And then we've met with Shaheen at Lux multiple times. And he's just always a delight and gives a lot of really good advice on building and especially with hiring and how you want to make sure that you know the team culture stays intact. And so that's really good. Good, and we've gotten a lot of good support from each one Even of them. less explosive.
0: Yeah, I think less explosive, but generally useful, especially if folks are looking yeah. around to, yeah, now to raise know. in it's similar nice, areas nice or whatever. Right? Yeah. 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 And the ones that uh, Laura didn't mention are all bad.
2: No. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no I mean. Joking. The other ninety <laughs> well, percent we, of the industry. Well, we recently. So. <laughs> yeah. So we took on two rounds last year. Mm-hmm. And Mac and Stage with Alex Rubalkava came on early. And then later we took on an extra investors, Village Global, Soma Capital, and Lux. And they've all been really, really helpful. And we've also been working with Broom Ventures as well. Cool. Yeah, so, that's the yeah, list. really, really cool funds. And then obviously the Pioneer Fund, which is uh, YC Founders. Yes. But we love Yeah, we, we
0: didn't even them. really talk about it. We're almost out of time. But do you have anything to say about the YC experience? Because now, yeah, it is becoming a theme. So maybe we'll put together like a Clips episode of YC. <laughs>
2: YC Founders <laughs> advice. Yeah. You know, I joined YC because I needed to learn how to run a business. Mm. And I don't have business school experience. I don't know how to build. Well, I I know how to build a team. But yeah, it's a lot of the business side of things that I decided that I needed to learn. And YC really helped us scale my experience and my exposure into how to run a business and how to build. And that was a pretty invaluable experience. And it's very hard and very fast. It was a quick three months of Non-stop. Mm-hmm. I don't think I slept very much during y c. <laughs> But I learned a ton and I utilize a lot of the knowledge that they gave us during those three months. And we still meet with our primary group member there kind of every month just to check in and, and ask his advice on things.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. The network yeah. and the connection seems to be like something that is invaluable there. Right. But you were in one of the remote classes, right? Why? Well, see yep, summer 21. It was all fully remote. It, it was all remote. Because yeah. of the
2: kids, I wouldn't have been able to do it if it was on site. Mm, yeah. So it was actually really nice that it was all remote because otherwise I wouldn't have even thought to apply because I, there's no way I could live in San Francisco for three months.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, it's really broadened kind of like who they can work with and appeal to, which is like great, yeah. right? But, and I haven't heard I anything think, about, you know, like anything. It's like you do miss out on some in-person networking stuff or whatever. But like, by and large, the experience seems to be like, no, you still get a lot of... Those yeah. kinds of connections and whatever, regardless. So, yeah.
2: We've developed a lot of connections with people in our area. So, a lot of the YC startups in the Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. sort of in similar verticals like space yep. or aviation, those are people that we've developed really strong relationships with. And that's been really nice because now I have a network of people to call on if I need advice or, you know, just want to talk through some things. And I really like that I've been able to pull from that community a lot. Yeah,
0: no, it's a great community down there and growing too. Like really a lot of activity, a lot of new companies popping up as yeah, I think people kind of like jump out, leap out of the SpaceX or <laughs> whatever. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to go build my own thing, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, that's about our time now. But Laura, it's been fantastic talking with you I want to ask would you accept (laughs) let's say let's say one of the the companies flying commercial passengers was like look we want to use your software but we want to like a half price deal or something and then we'll just give you a ticket would you take the deal is that is that going to work for you
2: Without question, (laughs) this would be like an automatic yes. And this is like a ask. I hope my husband is not listening, but this would be like a ask for forgiveness, not for
0: permission moment. (laughs) You tell him after you've been to space or.
2: (laughs) No, I'm going to tell him after I've already accepted (laughs) a ticket. Right. (laughs) And
1: Get the last will and testament <laughs> sorted out. It's like Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. Did you hear about no, this? No. She got really mad at him. Like, oh,
2: like, yeah. Oh. they are not
1: caught up on actual <laughs> space. News.
2: Although so, he he is still taking another mission. Later. No, he's yeah, right? going
1: yeah. to. Yeah, like they worked it out. But she was really mad because he bought a ticket and didn't talk to her about it. And she was like, "We have two children, and like you could die in an airlock." And he was like, "Well, that's I exactly want what to my go. husband said." Yeah, I mean. So mm. anyway, and I
2: said, "Well, you know, I work. I worked on." one of the vehicles so clearly i would not have sent people to space in the vehicle if i would not have flown yeah you can
1: gaslight him a little bit and be like do you not trust me do you not trust my work (laughs) yeah yeah i like it hey
2: i've been through the ringer with this vehicle and i've made sure that it's safe and so therefore i would fly on it yeah so if somebody came and asked me will you fly on dragon the answer is yes
0: okay that's out there ashton
2: kutcher can't say the same thing so
0: Hopefully, hopefully you get some calls out of this. Although I don't, <laughs> I don't I've, know that.
1: We, yeah, after this conversation,
2: I myself feel
1: ready. Oh, to I'm
2: definitely do ready.
0: Astronaut.
1: Okay. Well, well, I can well. also
2: I can also provide other services in flight because I've <laughs> yes, I've you know true. been through a lot yeah. of that training already because I wrote you're it. You have genuinely useful not skills. A
1: commercial passenger.
2: Yeah, yeah like I you're have, a hybrid. I do have some useful skills that worker. I can be happy to put to work. You don't even have to pay me while I'm there. I'll just teach wow. everyone else. Okay. Just and then Plugging it hard.
0: I me and Jordan will write uh, poems or something. And yeah, we you know, can yeah, we'll, definitely we'll entertain.
1: I have some fish stand up if that's helpful <laughs> for the other passengers as they look upon the moon and the stars. Whatever. Fish? Yeah, like fish <laughs> names. You know, have you ever thought about oh,
2: oh, I thought names? you said you were going to bring your fish to space. No, no, no like stand-up, up, like, like comedy, like, like a little
0: act. Jokes oh. about fish names? Yeah, That's what you're I mean, they them.
1: are, <laughs> if you think about it. They're fun, you know, like oh tuna,
0: why? Observational you, humor about yeah, the names fish of fish.
1: Bowl. I mean, think of any name like of it. any fish and ask yourself why. And that itself is wow. funny. Sturgeon. This I is like amazing.
0: It. This is the least useful <laughs> skill set that anyone's <laughs> like ever t- brought t- to the <laughs> table.
2: <for>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great skill set nonetheless. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it,
0: Daryl. Overall,
1: Daryl's been pretty yeah. negative to me. I'm going to need
2: to so. listen to the fish, <laughs> the fish uh, stand-up podcast. Yeah, yeah, that could get <laughs> oh, you the ticket. Yeah. The next one. Okay.
1: Well, this has been great. Again, really tight ending. Real clean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But definitely, this has been very fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it has been super fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, good job,
2: Laura. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right, Jordan, that was our chat with Laura. So, what do you think? Are you ready to launch some rockets now? Do you feel expert level? I feel like
1: if I wanted to, I could because of the software. Software
0: makes it so easy. Anyone could do it. That's not true. in a
1: world and space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Laura's really cool. You always, I mean, you expect, maybe this is like something I should really look at in myself, but whenever you're like, Hey, we're going to do a podcast about this super sciency, technical nerdy thing. I always expect the founders to be really super sciency, technical nerdy. And they're not mm. like not that, but they're also like really funny, cool people too. Yeah. And I need to look at myself and take a hard th- look in the mirror. I think it's like not
0: necessarily, way. it's not something that everybody has as a built-in skill. And I think there is a lot of work, especially the founders do around if they are come from like a specifically very technical background to like amplify that part of their Massage personality that. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, for sure, it was fantastic chatting with Laura. She's very funny and candid and open and whatever, but like, it was great to hear about parts of her experience doing this you know she has a long long career in the aerospace industry right and Mm -hmm. has worked in both in the industry is referred to as like the new space versus the old space new space is essentially spacex and anybody that's cool and the old space is like oh you know those boring old ones like Boeing, Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's kind of a distinction that's like Actually, they share a lot of the same, you know, staff and and (laughs) everything else. But it's definitely when you look at the way that they approach marketing and stuff, you can see where the differences are. Also, technically, too. But a lot of it is just perception, right? But she was great about explaining like a lot of the same problems still exist across both and they wanted to address that right and they did yeah what struck you about that i mean was that because for me i i know that stuff because i've spent a lot of time covering it right but like were you surprised by any of this
1: i mean no it's one of those things where it makes sense when you hear it right you know you think of like the old school space players and then some of these new companies that are sprouting up and you're like They must be so different and operate so differently. But like at its core, there only is what there is, right? Like you use what exists in many cases, especially when it's something this complex that would take building from the ground up, like particularly startups probably aren't doing that like newer companies because of the resource and you also got to
0: focus right and we talked to tons of founders about focus and so you focus on the things you can change that will make material differences to you now and other stuff you kind of back burner or don't change because it doesn't really affect it or whatever right
1: right so like it makes sense to me that the status quo exists and it just is what it is but then what i thought was most interesting was like and it'll be interesting to maybe circle back with her but like she's doing a lot of the selling right Mm -hmm. now if not like all of it again that like speaks to just her very dynamic personality right being able to like get into the weeds on the technical stuff but also be charismatic but then there's also the piece where like you would think the product doesn't necessarily have to be super different from one company to the other, but maybe the selling strategy does or like the pricing does. And I thought that was interesting that it's clearly something she's like constantly working through. Right. And like thinking about because the approach itself has to be tailored, not necessarily the product.
0: Yeah, that was interesting because I was assuming that there was going to be a wide difference depending on where the customer sits in kind of the space value chain, like whether they're a launch operator or whether they're a satellite integrator. But she said it's actually quite similar. And you're right, but most of their work is done like making sure that the pricing is right for who they're talking to and the feature set is right and Commensurate with that pricing, right? Which is, mm-hmm. it's a problem. I think a lot of SaaS, not a problem. It's a something that a lot of SaaS companies have to address and like get right. Totally. But, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a sticking point. I think not even just for SaaS companies. It's just like a if you're selling something, pricing should probably it is probably always going to take up a little wedge.
0: Just charge what the market will bear. All the Jordan, time. It's easy.
1: It's simple,
0: straightforward. <laughs> That's how we work, right? Like at TechCrunch, we work. No, that's how we at TechCrunch ah. work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun, easy troll. Thank you. Uh, um, what did you think? What stood out to you, man?
0: No, I think it was cool when she was talking about how she like went into the founding of the company, kind of thinking like, oh, like, we can just do this in our off hours or whatever. Like. <laughs> cuz if i ever put myself in the shoes of a founder right like the biggest thing for me is this risk of like jumping off the cliff so to speak right it's just being yeah, like okay security like, cliff yes exactly exactly cuz it's so, so security like that. hey Checks coming in. I know the checks coming in. And it was clear that she wanted that, especially, you know, having a family at the time. Right. And like just wanting to be like, okay, this I can count on and I can do this, which is my real ambition. And then hopefully it'll come to life over time. But then realize very, very quickly, it's not the way we're going to be able to do it. Like, it's just not going to work if we do it that way. And so going the venture out instead. Right. Which uh, I think was probably a scary moment for her. But it sounded like, you know, she was advised by smart people who had her best interests at heart who were able to convince her to do that right well
1: it sounds like she really likes her investors
0: yeah so yeah
1: i mean that's always a good feeling
0: yeah definitely yeah we we don't talk to many founders who are like i universally don't like my investors
1: (laughs) no i mean nobody's willing to say it but like you know
0: Yes, you do you know. know. You, we, you know, we'll tell you, you, can you. Get
1: a sense for it
0: in this part of the recording and future episodes. If we ever get the sense that somebody if really, we doesn't feel like, like the they probably don't like. It. Yeah,
1: we'll just <laughs> stir
0: some shit up. Why yeah. not? <laughs> but Laura does, and that's why Laura definitely three... does. Is great. No, it's great for many other reasons, but it is really one of these things where once you hear about it, it's like, of course, of course, this would be needed. I think that they have lots of room to run in terms of different customers to serve. I don't think that market size is going to be a challenge for them, but I'm very interested to continue to watch their progress.
1: Me too. Yeah.
0: All right, let's go to space. Bye. Bye, Jordan.
1: Later. Aliens.
0: (laughs) Oh no, it's the Alien Truth or Podcast now. (laughs) Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Cal Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pekovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com/found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.